0: friends and listeners, welcome back to the Thoth Hermes podcast, or should I rather say, I'm so happy to be back myself on the Thoth Hermes podcast. Yes, this is the start of season six, and it has been quite a time since our last episode. Well, actually, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago, which was an old recording I did back in September with Richard Gavin, and I hope you heard that but uh, I have not been producing new shows since last September, believe it or not. And I must really thank you all for being patient and having been so nice and consistent by listening old episodes and contacting me and being in touch. Well, it was a great time I had for my spiritual maintenance, also highly needed, and I do hope that I will be now producing nice new shows for you. I don't want to make this intro too long, but of course I need to say hello to all of you, to thank you, and also to let you know a few informations that might be nice to know for you. Well, today's show is, as I said, the start of season six. We are on April the 4th. It's Easter Sunday. I wish you all a happy Easter for those of you who are celebrating Easter. In any case, I will produce our next show in two weeks, two weeks from now, that is April 18, and it will be a kind of a special and emotional moment, because that will be Thoth Hermes' fourth anniversary. So stay tuned for that one. And um, April will be still the bi-weekly rhythm. I will do the next show then after April 18, very early in May. But... In May, at some point, I will then start again on my weekly show. So, still bi-weekly in April and maybe the first one or two weeks in May. And then we'll start a weekly show once again. And I'm really looking forward to that as well. reason why I still have to wait a bit for that is that I'm actually moving house this month of April. And as you can imagine, this is quite a lot of work to do. Right, so today's show will bring you a very special guest. We have a Grammy Award nominee here today, and we are going to speak to Jonathan Goldman. I don't think I need to introduce him to you, but I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a minute. And of course, if you have someone like Jonathan Goldman on the show, then this is a lot about music. And as you know, we always play uh, some music pieces on this show Um, and of course today's music is by Jonathan Goldman. All three pieces that you're gonna hear are by him and I'm really very happy that he has made those three pieces available for you and me to play here. That is not at all self-understood. Thank you Jonathan. Before we will listen to the first piece I would like to ask you for a little favor you know what's coming now well yes patreon i thank everybody who has stayed with me loyal with me on patreon on patreon for being a patron of that show and now that we start again of course all of you are needed again to sustain that show a little bit. So, go to our Patreon page, look for Thoth Hermes on Patreon, and you will find me there. And, well, if you can do a little kind of thing, little support for this show, that would be greatly appreciated. Right. If you need more information about the show, go on the website, thothhermes.com, that is T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com, and... You will find not only information, but all the episodes so far with all the info pages, all the background information that you need for this show. Talking about which, there is something else I have to tell you. And I have to thank two people here. uh, Ursula and Paul. Both of them have offered their help and they are going to do all the uh, uh, social media stuff for me. They do the texts for you patrons for the newsletter. And I'm extremely grateful because this is a lot of work and it's sometimes hard to do it all by yourself also because it's very nice if you can speak to someone, get their ideas, get their input. And well, both of them have offered their their help graciously and I'm really really very happy and in one of the upcoming shows I will introduce them a bit more to you so thank you Paul thank you Ursula for being helpful for this show everybody here who is listening should be really grateful okay without much further ado let's go into the first piece of music now It's a piece by Jonathan Goldman, of course. I'll tell you what it is afterwards this time, let you know a little bit more about that piece, and we will take it from there. But at first, let's listen to Jonathan Goldman's music. Enjoy. So, this is quite something, Jonathan's music, isn't it? Well, this was from his recording Chakra Chance number two, a track called Angelic Calling, and I think it's self explanatory. His music is extremely powerful, it's extremely interesting how it works on you and how your body and your senses react to it I believe and well that's exactly why I had to invite Jonathan here today. Jonathan Goldman is certainly one of the most important and also best-known musician, musicians in the world of um, spiritual healing music music healing sound healing as he mostly calls it and um, Sometimes we forget when we hear about him that he was really on the very beginning of that movement. It's not that he kind of was an epigone or made something again that others have done before him. He really got into it as the first one and he really produced something that has become so well-known nowadays and has been reproduced by so many other artists. And I think this really needed to be explored a bit further and that's why i invited jonathan here today but he is not only a musician and we should not forget that because he is also a very much acclaimed author of books like the power of harmonics or the seven secrets of sound healing and his latest book is about humming and we're going to talk about that quite a bit when we speak in the interview that's coming up now so um, it is really quite an experience also to talk to him because he knows so much, and uh, well, you know guys, I am a musician myself, and I personally also have made many experiences with sound and the energy of sound, the energy of sound of all kinds, um, as the energy of other wave types, uh, and I'm sure many of you out there have had similar experiences. So. If you had some, why don't you share them with me? Why don't you come up with them and maybe leave me a voicemail on the website or send me just an email or something on Twitter? Um, Would be nice. And, um, well, in for the time being now, I don't want to keep you much longer, but we go to talk to Jonathan in person right away. Just let me remind you, it's Nothing has changed. We will have a break at about halfway the interview, so a bit over 30 minutes. And during the break, we are going to listen to another piece of music, a second piece that we've, be, we've received from Jonathan to be played on this show. So um, now let's go join Jonathan Goldman and talk to him about his experiences, about sound healing, and all that is related to it. Here comes the interview. It is a great pleasure and honor to open this season six of the Thoth Hermit podcast with somebody who I really am very happy to have here, uh, Musician, I may almost say a colleague in an honest, humble way from my end, but he is one of the also 100 most spiritually influential living people, as Watkins, Mind, Body, Spirit magazine put it, and uh, he is somebody I am sure. Most of my audience here will know or have even a CD at home or listen to music in other means. And it's great to have Jonathan Goldman with us here today. Hello, Jonathan. It's great to have
2: you. what a pleasure it is to be with you and uh, your listeners. So thank you so much for inviting me. And Happy Easter. Well, Happy Easter. Absolutely. Good to think about that. Well, Jonathan, um
0: I don't think I need to introduce you because... Your, I, I hesitate when I limit it to saying your music because it's not only music without diminishing anything, but it's more than music. It's sound. It's it's producing sound effect uh, in different ways than we are usually used to in the cinema, etc. And your your sounds, your music, your pieces have have been, I think all over the world of the occult and the esoteric worlds and um, but at initially uh, i think you were one of the pioneers when you started all that so let's take it all a bit from the beginning here today let's even go further back than the start of your uh, working in that field let's go back to the young jonathan and where it all started because it always interests me how the people became what they are today? Where did it all start? Where did you start to get interested in the field of influence, music on the human
2: mind, on the human spirit, and on the body, I believe? Rudolph, we're going to indeed step back into what I call the Wayback Machine. We're going to travel back to the late 1970s. And I am, I have graduated now Uh, film school at Boston University, and I'm playing in in one of the many rock and roll bands that I've played in since I was 15 years old. And I am almost 30 years old at this point, and I I am playing in a seaside bar in Cape Cod, which is United States, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I'm coming back from a break, and I strap on my Stratocaster, plug it in, start singing and playing look out at the audience and become aware that the ambiance of the audience was one of negativity and violence. Now, I understood that the alcohol and the other substances, substances that people were imbibing and were helping create this ambiance of negativity and violence. But also, I realized that the music that I was creating at that specific time was helping induce this ambiance. And I had the thought, hmm, what if music could be used to make people feel better? And mind you, I'd been playing professionally for 15 years, and I'd never had this thought. And literally, so it was a new thought entering my psyche. And uh, within a week, that thought shifted about 10 or 15 degrees and went from what can, you know, music can be used to make people feel better to what if sound can be used to heal? And lo and behold, a gateway opened when I had that thought. And literally within about a week or two, I was handed a piece of paper. And I was announcing a workshop taught by a woman named Sarah Benson. And she was teaching a workshop on using sound and music for healing. And as part of that experience, out of the 30 people in the group in the workshop, I was chosen to go in the middle of the circle, hold a quartz crystal, hand-sized quartz crystal, closed my eyes while people chanted and sung my name. Rudolph, I went out of my body. I found myself in what turned out to have been an amethyst pyramid in the middle of the woods with this incredible light flowing in. And when I came back to my body, I looked at the crystal and I looked at the people and I thought, I've got to find out more about this. So literally, I went from that experience of having this inner voice say, "What if?" Music can be used to make people feel better. To me, having a literal experience of transformation and, you know, dimensional shifting uh, using sound and crystals. And incidentally, that's probably all anyone needs is sound and crystals to literally re- rearrange uh, reality. Um, that was it. And from there, I then went on to. Actually, I took. I was invited that night to be to go to an organization that had been meeting monthly, where people uh, who were interested in studying how uh, sound and music could be healing uh, would meet. It was a potluck. And I went there and I was floored. This incredible man who taught the only college level course in using sound for healing read, uh, the opening of his book. His name was Dr. Randall McClellan, an amazing person. Mm-hmm. And I was going, and he wrote a book called The Healing Forces of Music, which is still in print. And his work is brilliant and is the, uh, shall we say, um, a groundbreaker for so much stuff. And unfortunately, like everything else, if it hasn't happened in the last five or 10 years, many people uh, forget it. But his name is Dr. Randall McClellan, the healing forces of music. And anyway, at the end of that uh, potluck dinner, and it was fabulous. I said, okay, when's the next meeting? And someone looked at me and said, there isn't going to be any, this is going to be the last meeting. I said, what? It can't be. Why? He said, well, nobody wants to take the time and the energy to organize this. And I was not only the new kid on the block, I had taken a workshop that day. And I raised my hand and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And literally, I went back and not only did I do it, but I did something that they hadn't uh, done before. I gave it a name. And you know the power of naming something. And sure. I, I called it uh, the Sound Healers Association. Whoa. And it grew and it grew and it grew. And then I went to Leslie University. And at Leslie University, because I decided I was getting so much information because there were so many people, all these doctors, scientists, musicians, healers, magicians coming and sharing. And it was interesting. Uh, Since this is, uh, shall we say, dedicated to the hermetic uh, arts on a level, we used to, at the uh, Sound Healers Association... We used to have all the witches of Salem. Yes, there were witches of Salem. And most of them would arrive. Uh, and I finally, I, I spoke to the head witch who became a very dear friend of mine. And I said, what are you all doing here? He said, you don't know. And no, he laughed. He said, you're doing the same thing we do. And I said, oh, okay. Which was, uh, you know, understanding how to like manifest and use sound to shift and change reality to heal and um uh, And they were instantly all good people and very, very lovely people. But um, I'm at Lesley University and I get a degree in using, um, researching the uses of sound music for healing because it was so important. I said... Uh, you know, Rudolph, if you like, part of my whole process is, has been to reawaken, bring awareness of sound for healing to yeah. the planet. And I am really grateful that I have been. I'm, I appreciate you talking about all the music that I've created, but I'd like to think that my teaching has perhaps been the most monumental thing that I've done. Not only do I have a half a dozen different books, but uh, I've taught yeah tens of thousands of people throughout the planet many of them who are themselves now major uh sound healing people so what a blessing that is i go on i could keep talking about this let me let you well, ask do, a question do do, do,
0: do do no but um the question i had um when you had that experience the very first experience when you said you you felt that that bad ambience yeah. in that rock concert was that the very first experience of that kind you had or did you do anything like like many youngsters do? They train in magic or something like that, which made you more aware at that point? Or was it just like
2: a, like an enlightened, spontaneous enlightenment? It was a spontaneous, spontaneous enlightenment, point? but I've always been really into everything esoteric. I was into... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, on a level, uh, sword and sorcery, and I was reading about UFOs and extraterrestrials when I was eight years old. This is back when, you know, Project Blue Book first uh, got released and stuff like that. So I've always been there. But what was interesting about that experience, and I really want to share this, is that at the time I was playing in a band that probably uh, was closer to being kind of a new wave punk rock band. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. at the time I thought, oh, you know, this means that rock and roll is bad. No, my friend, rock and roll is not uh, bad at all. Uh, It just happens to be that the music that I was creating was, shall we say, pretty harsh. And, um, you know, uh, you know, in hindsight, what I did at the time, because all these people, many, many different people were into rock and roll is bad. I thought, oh, you know, so I... I, Oh, absolutely. What year approximately are we talking about? 1979, 1980. Yeah, okay. Well, that was exactly the period
0: when when there was even a kind of a witch hunt going on against some kinds of rock music that that would create crime or whatever. It was a a strong period of that saying, and I'm glad you, you're you telling our people here that it's not watching. Oh, what
2: no, no, saying. no. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, can, it's a level of evolution because a lot of the people were like, uh, well, more mainstream doctors and people like that who wanted me to say, hey, you know, rock and roll is bad. I did put down my Stratocaster for about three years. And then I came mm. to a realization, Rudolph, and I'll share this with you and your listeners because I think it's so important. Right. And uh, I'm going to first backtrack. I jump around when I talk and I hope this uh, works. Sure. Oh, I'm going to backtrack uh, to being at Lesley University and working on my master's thesis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I come from a family of doctors, brother, father, grandfather, all medical doctors. And I have a or had at least a pretty well-developed left brain, a logical brain. And what I had done, you can't see this now, but I had assembled probably six, eight inches worth of papers stocked upon each other, and they were all different systems that different scientists, healers, spiritual masters, etc., had used for healing not only the chakras, but the physical body. And I was basically going to correlate them all and be the first person who's going to come up with the, shall we say, one-on-one relationship between sound and everything in the universe. Mm-hmm. I'm, and
0: and that, that I find amazing because, because as you said, or if we talked about the Witches of Salem, um, it's it's somehow an ancient, really ancient
2: knowledge, isn't it? Well, totally. We can we can talk about that in a minute, but I just want to tell you about this experience because this, Sorry. this yeah. experience yeah, sure. was also, I've had a few life changes. This was another one. I am uh, I like to set the stage with saying I'm sitting in front of a computer with a DOS operating system and, and uh, really a dark screen with an amber cursor flashing back and forth, mm-hmm. waiting for me to type. And I'm literally, all of a sudden, this realization that this stuff doesn't match up. You have spiritual master A, who's using a particular uh, set of uh, mantras for uh, the chakras, and spiritual master B, who's using a completely different set of mantras for the same chakras, or perhaps the same mantras for different chakras. And you have, you know, doctor X who is using a particular set of frequencies for one organ, and Dr. Y, who's using a completely different set of frequencies for the same organ. And I'm going, and you know, Rudolph, this was at a time before anybody knew anything about sound healing. I had been in contact with some of the major people on the planet working with sound, and I, there was no reason that they, they were not being anything but the highest level of being sincere and real, when they presented this information to me. So this is based upon their work and their experience. And I thought it was the truth, but the truth didn't match up. And I'm sitting there in my chair with my head in my hands, rocking back and forth in a state of intellectual angst, thinking, how can this be? How can this be? And I hear this inner voice. And the inner voice says, it is not only the frequency of the sound that creates its effect. It is also the intention of the person making and receiving the sound. And there, on that dark screen, with the amber-gold letters I wrote out, the words frequency plus intent equals healing. I'm going to say this again. Frequency plus intent equals healing, meaning that, the, uh, if you like, the intentionality that you encode upon the sound creates the effect. And then I did a subcorollary to that, which is vocalization plus visualization equals manifestation. And I thought I was very original. I thought, wow, that's cool, I've really discovered something. And then I realized that every magical and spiritual tradition on the planet had basically used this formula, but I just happened to basically (laughs) codify it. As Einstein said, E equals MC square, well, he didn't make up energy, he just basically codified it and put it into that formula. Right. And uh, so... With that mind, I will then jump back to the rock and roll and saying that it depends, you know, rock and roll is a genre. And, you know, in terms of it being healing music, from my perspective, some of the most positive, loving, healing music, for example, might be from the Beatles. And in the end, the love you take is equal to love you make or things like that. And, you know, so it depends on the energy, the intention, and the consciousness that is encoded upon the music. And even that, I like to say that any music, depending upon the time, the space, and the need of the individual can be therapeutic. Can I keep going on that one for a second? absolutely i have one additional question to yeah. that. um of course you
0: are talking and as one is talking about in magic as well about the intention of the music maker of the one who produces who makes the music yeah. happen right who creates the energy um how, would you say that the intention of the receiver of the listener
2: has any effect
0: or any at all
2: totally Overall, very, very much so. Um, mm-hmm. once again, the, the intention of the person making and receiving the sound. So, which can really be so many different people. At one point, I almost gave up on it because it goes from, let's say it's an orchestra, it goes from the energy of the people in the orchestra playing to the, it goes through the conductor as the channel. He's the major focal point. Then it's being picked up yeah. by whatever recording, uh, Uh, media that you're using, but then it's also who's doing the pressing of the record or who's doing this and that. And indeed, Mm -hmm. I will just acknowledge to you that one of the things that I would do is that I would, um, take a lot of the master recordings that I did and put them in a, a circle with quartz crystals and put the intentionality on there and ask beings of light and love through sound to encode the highest levels of healing consciousness and being. And that's something that I think any, anybody and everybody should do because it's, it's really important and powerful Yeah, and it's real. Yeah, definitely. 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 So, but that, that means that, uh,
0: the young Jonathan Goldman then, and the Jonathan Goldman of today, there has been. Quite a, of course, a learning curve, but also a development in the sense of that you have gone very, very deep into the background of the,
2: of the what and why, right? Well, as much as I can, after a while. Okay, so <clears throat> Rudolph, in 19, and probably about 10 years later, I finished a 700 page book from that very first experience, a 700 page book that I wrote for a major publishing company. And um it had everything that I'd investigated from reading books, from going to workshops, from private communication with people. And uh, the book actually never got published. And what I'm doing right now is I'm taking some of those chapters and literally making them into little eBooks because it's got information and knowledge that has vanished from this planet. Um, But back then, I used to be a veritable walking encyclopedia of sound. Now, not so much. It doesn't matter because I think I become so, so much, if you like, in my understanding that it's the belief that people have in the music and the sound and the frequency and whatnot that is equal. Once again, it's the frequency plus intent so that... Um, are you aware of Robert Anton Wilson? I think you are as a, as a writer, right? Of course, right? yes. Sure. And I'm, and, I'm I, sure about most day people who listen here should be as right. well. Right. I'm, I'm re- uh, reading uh, some of his books again because he's, 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 he's just a brilliant being. I've always liked him. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, what I'm just talking about that there are uh, the thinkers and the provers, that part of the mind. And that's so valid today in terms of things. So that's why we have such divisiveness on our planet right now. Is that you can hmm. virtually prove whatever you want to prove. So that's why I always like to tell people that don't believe anybody. If you experience something and it's real for yourself, then it's real. Otherwise, eh, not really. Uh, because it's so, there's also, from my perspective, I'm trying to come to peace with all the misinformation about frequencies that have manifested. And a lot of times, um, a lot of the information comes from uh, misunderstanding of things that I've helped manifest and you know, bring to this planet. So, it's, uh, it's okay. I'm, you know, I'm coming to peace with it and going, well, if enough people have the belief that this is real, they're going to create it as a consensus reality, which is one of, for example, the phenomena of the ohm as just a thought. The ohm yeah. has been uh, chanted and sounded for a gazillion years by a gazillion people, and be by, therefore, by its very nature, the morphic field, the energy field of the ohm is on a level so much more powerful than if you were to unearth an ancient chant from a certain tradition that hadn't been vocalized in thousands of years. It'd be a little rusty. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. just so much mm-hmm. on a level; it's so uh, much easier to do things that are very simple and well known. Of course, have you found out in your research where,
0: about when, about I mean, the and also where the 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 earliest experience that you would that you would call sound
2: healing was practiced? Ah, oh, golly, Gerald. <laughs> This is. Uh, I'm, th- I'm thinking that Og the caveman, when he was chanting, uh, <laughs> s- standing around a fire, going og og, and hitting a couple of rocks together, hoping that it yeah. would, uh, you know, rain uh, or something like that. Mm. You know, so we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're literally, let alone getting esoteric and saying, hey, there were ancient traditions that knew about the p- uh, power of manifestation through sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago in ancient civilizations and you know know, whether people talk about the ancient Egyptians or the Sumerians um a lot of that is speculation so I I don't know that uh we know about that what about yourself what do you think
0: well I I, I'm like you I think uh, there are many many manifestations who who we who we cannot prove because uh, there is no there is no proof. Um, you can find pieces of wood which have been burned, but you cannot find the sound waves that were produced with it, right? Well, so the- so so that's the problem. But I I think that the earliest um, testimony would be in ancient Greece, in my in my knowledge, but
2: um, at Delphi, huh? Then-
0: yeah, exactly. Uh,
2: yeah, I got threw out, thrown out of Delphi when I was there once, and I was trying to do some chanting, and they just, you know, I wanted <laughs> a sound in the, uh, you know, amphitheater, and the, these guards just stopped <laughs> me and they tossed me out. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, I think Delphi definitely, but obviously in the ancient. Uh, You know, the pyramids and all these stuff, these things are beyond being sound initiation chambers, but I think also a lot of other places as well. And this gets into the concept of are there by nature certain places that are sacred or can any place be potentially made sacred with the correct intentionality? That's just a thought. I have no answer. Yeah. Well, well, that brings me to a question. We are completely off your biography
0: now, but we'll get back. I promise. That's okay. But, <laughs> um, to one question which struck me in the beginning when I started reading your books, because now correct me if I might be citing that wrongly, but you were always taking music and sound as being the, the basic energy. Uh, and most of your colleagues or or other writers would take vibration as the energy you specifically always name it immediately sound right yes Uh, why is that why don't you why don't you break it down into other types of vibration
2: which you would maybe not normally call sound that's great that's a great question uh i don't have much of one except for this one how about that uh and this is this is getting back to uh the biography maybe or maybe not mm-hmm. but um i was at woodstock great place and uh i had the pleasure of seeing and being part of a half a million people chanting mm-hmm. together with swami sachidananda oh and it was an incredible experience and uh as you know and i think um you listeners may even know, we do a once a year, uh, coming up now will be the 20th uh, World Sound Healing Day. That'll, that'll be in uh, 2022, but we just got done with the uh, 19th, which had Many, many, many thousands of people uh, sounding to bring a, pan- a planetary peace and healing. But mm-hmm. I kind of think I was always like chasing after Swami Sachinananda at Woodstock where half a million people did it. And I'm actually convinced that doing that chant there was one of the reasons why Woodstock, which should have been such a traumatically chaos situation, wasn't because there may have been some overall gestalt or protection uh, of uh, this uh, great energetic form. Getting back to a few years ago, my wife and I decided that we wanted to write a book on humming because we wanted to find a sound that everyone could use. And we'd become so very, very exclusive about whether or not we have a good voice or whatnot. And people just, you know, will not oftentimes get involved in using sound healing because I think they have to be a trained opera star or something like that. And we said, okay, what can we do? And we basically decided that we were going to work that the one sound that everybody made and they didn't have any judgment on was the hum. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'll, I'll get back into the hum later, perhaps, but I want to say that we are at Swami Sachidananda. Sana- um, he had his, an ashram, uh, believe it or not, uh, called Yogaville in, <laughs> yeah, really. And, uh, and it's a uh, brilliant place in uh, Virginia of in North America. Okay. And uh, my wife and I arrived there to uh, be teaching something called the divine name, which is also another discovery, if you like, that I made of a harmonically yeah. related, uh, you know, series of vowels that created the tetragrammaton, which is a whole nother thing. But uh, I walk in there and I pick up a copy of the Yoga Sutras by Pantanjali, which is one of the most ancient uh, scriptures in the East. And every, uh, shall we say, uh, guru and spiritual master has done their own translation of this. I walked in, I saw the book, I opened it up, and I open up to Sutra 1.7, 1.27. And Sutra 1.27 says and I'm paraphrasing now the original sound of creation of, of creation was pranava, the humming of prana they had to give this a name okay. so they called it om okay okay and then okay. the next day i walk out and i see this guy's an elderly swami who i who i've known because we've talked there a few times and i said swami Did you ever think that the original sound of creation was a hum? And he kind of looked at me, Rudolph, like I was really ignorant. And he goes... Of course, astrophysicists know that. You didn't know that? And I will say about two months ago, I just got a thing saying that, yes, they finally uh, found that the original, uh, you know, it was an electromagnetic frequency that was uh, exactly. that was yeah. a hum. Yeah. Some kind of background hum. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I yeah. loved it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so I perceive it as being sound. And one of the great things, and I, I throw this in your ballpark, because I don't know. From my mm-hmm. perspective, I am, not, I am not sure that uh, all vibrations are uh, the same. I just don't know that sound and light, for example, are the same. I think they are two different modalities. Other people mm-hmm. do not, they think they're locked one on one, but in many different works of shops of mine, for example, we've had people basically close their eyes. You make a sound, you project a color on the sound. The person receives the color on the sound. If it was, if that sound was locked into only resonating to a certain color, then you wouldn't be able to do that. That's just my own knowing experience Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. And also on a level, I think that there's other stuff that goes on. So I don't know that all different vibrations are the same and indeed i'm just i'm on a roll i don't for example when people talk about raising your frequency or shifting your frequency it may be very different than uh what we perceive of as being sound frequencies
0: right right well that that's a very interesting point because because might that might the answer to that question that you were just raising now, might that be individual? Do you think that different practitioners might be able to raise their frequency in different ways, some through sound, some through meditation, others through magical ritual or or, or do you you think there might be an individual
2: aspect to that oh totally but rudolph you just hit upon something that i think is very very important there are two things in a book that i wrote called the seven secrets of sound healing Mm -hmm. uh, i have uh this really i think it's a chapter that says we are all unique vibratory beings Mm -hmm. by that i mean that everybody resonates and vibrates also to different frequencies. And I have not personally found a frequency or, uh, you know, listen, The basic idea of using sound for healing is simply that everything in the universe is in a state of vibration, and if it is in the audible range, we perceive of this as being a sound. The electrons moving around the nucleus of an atom or a planet in distant galaxies moving around its sun, it's putting out a vibration we can perhaps perceive of it as being sound. And then I I usually would begin any works that, that I did saying, how many of you are allergic to penicillin? and Certain number of people would raise their hands, and usually between five and 20 percent of an audience would raise their hands. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, okay, if you perceive that penicillin, that everything in the universe. In, is in a state of vibration that penicillin is a, a series of vibrations, perhaps not a single frequency, but a composite frequency. This is my mm. whole belief that it's not just single frequencies, but composite frequencies. But regardless, sure. it's a composite frequency. And for 80% of you, this composite frequency is going to be therapeutic and healing. But for 20%, 5 to 20% at least, this frequency or series of frequencies is going to be toxic. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, we really need to understand and honor this so that if, you know, if you're eating a food and it makes you sick, stop eating it. If you're listening to music and it doesn't feel good, stop listening to it. I want to empower people to own what's good for them as opposed to somebody going, oh, this is really great for you. You got to try this. And then, you know. uh, Right. And I I think that's really, really mandatory so we can own our unique differences. Now, what you were talking about in terms of uh, different people vibrating different things, well, that's totally true. Some people vibrate to, I mean, look, we have five different senses, you know, uh, and let alone there are other different senses that are, shall we say, ways that we resonate and vibrate. So whether it's light, aroma, taste, Mm. sound or touch or any of the other uh unseen uh phenomena i think these all can affect us differently different people have different sensitivities to it sure
0: highly interesting to talk to Jonathan. i hope it's just as interesting for you to listen to him well um A small change now in the build of the shows that I would like to tell you here because it concerns that very moment. Normally when I break the interviews I came back to your talk a little bit then I will play a piece of music to you and after that I come back and talk again a little bit and finally we continue with the interview. Well maybe I thought it was a bit too much talk by me and I do only this one little talk now i will now tell you what piece of music you're gonna hear and immediately after that piece of music we will return to listen again to jonathan goldman and hear the second part of that interesting interview and at the end of the interview there is music piece number one so there is a little bit less talking by myself in the middle and i think that's good for the show I hope you agree, and so without much further waiting, we are going to immediately listen to that other, uh, to that other piece of music, "Lost Chords." The Lost Chords. It's called Compassion. The Lost Chords is the title of the CD, and Compassion, the title of the track by Jonathan Goldman. And so um, once again. I think you should l- just let yourself drop into that music and see what it does to you, see how you feel about it, and also you might want to listen to Jonathan. He talks about the pieces we display here today a little bit, each of them has been mentioned in the interview, so listen to what he has to say about those pieces as well after the interview. The third piece is from the c d called the Divine Name and the title of the track is Awakening. So to me that sounds self-explanatory, and um, so we now hear Compassion from the Lost Chords, then we hear the second part of the interview, and finally we listen to the piece number three, Awakening from the Divine Name, and of course all music is by our guest, our interview guest here today by Jonathan Goldman. Enjoy. Shall we now return to the biography because we left off, <laughs> if I remember well, uh, we left off where you said you had decided to create, what was the name of the Sound Healing? It was called Sound Healers the time, Association, right? yeah. Yes, exactly. So
2: what did you start with that? what? Where did it develop from there? Well, uh, actually the first person, it's so funny. We, we have an Equinox letter that's uh, going out uh, uh, pretty soon and... Um, I was just mentioning that the Sound Healers Association, which is still existence uh, today, phew, how many years is that? Forty years later, um, has ha- uh, is having online meetings. Blessed be, but then we would have actual meetings in person. The very first person who uh, basically lectured at this meeting was a fellow by the name of Sam McClellan, who did uh, the very okay. first. What I did, incidentally. I changed my record company from being a new uh, wave punk rock label to being one of the first new age therapeutic labels. And the only mm-hmm. thing I didn't have to change was the name of the company. It was called Spirit <laughs> Music. <laughs> yeah. And the very, the very first person we got as an artist, and once again, this fellow was giving this lecture and he's playing this music that he created, which is designed to uh, balance the meridians of your body- and he had a couple of acupuncturists there doing tests and people. And it was also beautiful music. And, um, I said, I got to put this out. So I, our first record, an LP, you remember those, uh, was called Music of the Five oh, yeah. Elements by Sam McClellan. And then after that, many other people, uh, another artist on the label was, uh, a fellow by the name of Don Campbell, who, uh, was very well known, created the, uh, the Mozart effect. You may have heard of that one. Yes. And, um, I really felt really, really shy about doing this stuff. And finally an inner guidance said, okay, you got to get out there and do it yourself. So I started doing a couple of different things. And, um, you know, I now have about 25 or even 30 different, uh, recordings out there, including, uh, you know, a Grammy nominee and some that have been, uh, really, really, you know, you know, not only best selling, but, um, uh you know, award winning right. recordings. So I would even go to the point that people when you mention the name
0: of Jonathan Goldman, they mostly think of that of those recordings, those CDs, and not immediately of your books. Unfortunately, that's yeah. why also we should we, we should underline it once again, you did in the beginning, that you are not only, sorry, a
2: musician, but you are an author, a teacher, etc. Yeah. And that's really been my purpose and I I like to think that I'm actually maybe even a better teacher. <laughs> Cause I, can really, <laughs> I can really simplify stuff and make important stuff really simple. And, you know, my purpose is to reawaken for people. And like, for example, working mm. with sound or getting back to the divine name, the Tetragrammaton. That was an incredible experience. Here, I'll just share this with you for a second. Well, I, you're, you, you felt me. I would, wanted absolutely to go
0: back to the divine name. Can you, can you maybe expand on that a little bit?
2: Okay. Uh, coming from a, uh, background, uh, if you like a Hebraic background, Mm -hmm. I remember when I was, uh, in, um, temple and when I was a little kid and there would be, at some point, somebody whispered to me, see this over here? That's a secret name of God. It's never to be spoken. I was going, what, huh? What, huh? But I thought it was very, very interesting and intriguing. And, um, I kind of let it go on that one, but then probably in, somewhere in the early uh, 1980s, I was sleeping on the couch of uh, the uh, uh, my friend Sarah Benson and her husband, Don Beeman, who was an incredible megas, uh, mm-hmm. and um, as I'm waking up from a dream, I have... This voice that tells me to sound these vowel sounds in a particular manner now Rudolph I'll just say that for about for many years before that I've been working with a series of vowel sounds to resonate the chakras going from the root chakra all the way up mm-hmm. to the crown center mm-hmm. and I mean, I I love it because on a level, this system of using uh, the vowels as mantras is almost universally accepted. And that was the only way that I knew it was to go from the bottom to the top. But this inner voice said, we want you to go from the top to the bottom and then go back up again. I said, okay, I had to write this down. I was so unfamiliar, even though I I could do it in one way. I couldn't do it reverse. I literally had to write it down. Then I sounded it. And when I sounded it, two things happened. First, I felt the energy go from the top of my head down to the uh, base of my spine, then back up again. I expected that. I knew the power of sound. But the other thing I didn't expect... Was that I would hear this name that sounded very much like the Tetragrammaton, the divine name of God. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is crazy because the Tetragrammaton was said to be made from Hebrew consonants. And uh, Hebrew has no vowels, and it was the yod, the he, and the vav. So it was yod, he, vav, he. But this was a vowel sound. And I thought, well, I must be wrong. And then a couple of years later, I was sort of guided. to try to learn Hebrew because I've never been able to do it. I'm just, maybe that's why I play with the harmonics and vowels. I'm not very good with consonants and language. So uh, so I'm trying to do it. And it's like the first chapter is okay. The second chapter, I guess by the third chapter, I began to freak because it was about the ancient use of vowel sounds in ancient Hebrew. I'm going, what? And it turns out that the yod, the hey, and the vav Were all were vowel sounds in ancient Hebrew, according to this book, which was written uh, by Oxford University. So it wasn't just some sort of uh, whacked out thing. It's actually well known. So I realized that whatever I had experienced in terms of intoning the vowel sounds to create this was actually real. And that's when uh, I began to, you know, uh, be even more and more uh, silent until I started working with a fellow by the name of Greg Braden, who you may know of. Greg is No, a, I haven't heard about him. Oh, my goodness. Greg is uh, one of the great spiritual scientists of our time. And uh, he's one of the great new thought leaders in our time. And he was right. teaching at the time uh, some aspect of Kabbalah. Uh, on a scientific level. And I went with my wife to one of his presentations and I said, by gosh, and by golly, uh, you know, Greg's teaching got Kabbalah. And we went out for a dinner with him afterwards cause I knew him. And I said, Greg, I've discovered how to make this, you know, tetragrammaton sound. And I made a recording for him and for him alone. It's the first thing I did. He played it in his workshops and he would have thousands of people come to his work. And he still does have thousands of people. And, um, He would play this and people would have really phenomenal experiences. And I said, make sure that nobody tapes it. You can't do that. People are going to do that. And there was a crummy recording of the uh, Divine Name that I had done that basically uh, Mm -hmm. ended up going on the Internet. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to honor the great forces and the great spirits of sound. So I made a stereo recording from there, did a recording called The Divine Name with Greg. Then later on for Hay House, I wrote a book on the divine name. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a wonderful and powerful uh, experience. And in fact, on my website, healingsounds.com, uh, my wife and I actually just released this online course that was recorded on 1111 at 1111 for about a couple of hundred people for our 11th wedding anniversary. And we finally made it available to the public so people can get how to do that there. And it's, it's, it's really quite a wonderful teaching, but, yeah. um, still, and I thought that was a great, great thing that could be utilized. But still, once again, wanted to make something a little less esoteric, you know, for people and not have it be related to anything, whether it's the Abrahamic traditions or magic or Kabbalah or anything like that. So who's going to have a problem with the hum? And that's why we began uh, focusing on the hum. Now, I know you have a big question from you. I can just sense it. <laughs> well the, the humming effect i i was going to come
0: to that now because um uh it's not a real question but i wanted to lead you into that and you grabbed it of course and <laughs> um, because the, the you i think it's it's your latest book the humming effect isn't it yeah and you wrote it together with your wife and um um it it it, it struck a, a chord with me personally also because uh it happens to me a lot when i do my my magical work that's mm. very spontaneously humming comes into effect and of course when you are uh, in ritual when you're uh, in ceremonial magic when you're asked to Pronounce names to, to, to right. speak them. You are doing that in a certain way. You chant them in a right. certain way that produces a, a kind of a vibrational humming sound in your vocal cords, a very spe- particular. Way of, of, of using sound, which is very closely related to the,
2: to humming. Right. Getting back to the divine name, hold a second. I remember I heard Israel regardy doing the, uh, basically chants of the tree of life and that they were very, very very vowel oriented
0: stuff a long time ago. uh, or take the middle, the simple, it's it's rather simple ritual, middle pillar ritual, which is very strong, I believe, which I, I when I can't do it every day, it would be too strong. You know, it's so strong. Mm. And that uses a lot. It uses not the chakras, of course, but it uses the cabalistic the, 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 the trees, the, the the sefirot there. Um, but um, uh, you chant certain names, not the divine name, but names, well, it is divine names, but not the one right. that uses it. Yeah, yeah, but others, right? Um, so, what what brought you to that uh, to the to discover that you mentioned it a little bit before? But why did you go so much in depth at that? And tell us about the humming of it. Tell us about that
2: book and what, what your statement is there. And uh, teach our people. Here. Okay, Rudolph, real quick. I'm just going to mention a CD that I did called "The Lost Court. And the lost, lost chord is actually a journey, not only through the chakras, but th- through the Sephiroth, because mm-hmm. there had, there was a brilliant woman by the name of Carolyn Mace, who basically yeah. related the chakras to the Sephiroth. So I did it as a journey. Uh, and it has at times 60 different sacred chants going on simultaneously. And it's a real, uh, for want of a better term, interdimensional mind blower. And I just want to, want to log people onto that. I think I wrote a book that had about, uh, a booklet that had about uh, probably a ten thousand word booklet that was got that was given with the CD because it was so important and powerful. Back mm-hmm. to humming. Mm-hmm. My first experience with humming happened a long time ago, and that was really wonderful with a man named Dr. John Boyou, who's an extraordinary. He's he's one of the people who really brought down tuning forks onto our planet, and he's still here. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had us humming up and down our uh, spines, so you could do that and through your body. Uh, But I had an experience probably in the mm, 1990s when I was in Hollywood, California. And I'm sitting on uh, a back porch with a fellow by the name of Dr. John Lilly. Did you ever hear of him? Uh, I've heard the name, but... Honestly, I cannot really put him in the right shelf now. Well, he was a man who basically had written a lot of books on Dolphins and Consciousness uh, and then, right, on, yeah, then right, on Consciousness. Yeah, yeah. And he was also one of the great explorers into uh, psychotropic substances. And by this point, he's a pretty old fellow. He's in his 80s. And I'm sitting there with him and he's sitting there going, mm-hmm. So at one point, I said, uh, John, excuse me, because we were both doing workshops and we were sort of the stars of the evening. So we'd gone to escape the crowd. We were in the back porch somewhere. I said, John, are you doing that consciously? And he looked at me. And Rudolph asked the wrong question to ask a man whose life has been devoted to consciousness and to writing books on consciousness. He said, young man. I no longer know what consciousness is. The, uh, you know, mind is like a you know, mansion with many rooms. And he goes on a half hour later. He's still talking to me and it's fascinating, but I didn't get an answer. But I realized tapping into what he was doing that he'd found this incredible self-soothing sound that was doing some sort of really extraordinary energetic tool for him. Mm-hmm. So that's why when I uh, wrote The uh, Humming Effect with my wife, I thought, okay, this can be, this may prove to be an extraordinary, powerful sonic journey. And uh, it was. I said, what can we do to take, um, get people to, you know, take this seriously? Because it was was going to be the first professionally published book written on the subject of humming. And... um, (sighs) You know, how can somebody take this seriously? How can someone, you know, take this unless you make the first chapter nothing more or less than what they call peer review, scientific and uh, medical information based upon the therapeutic benefits of humming. And that's Mm -hmm. what we did. And from there, then we could do the giant leap and talk about all sorts of different aspects of, uh, you know, Brahmari Pranayama, which is a humming uh, thing from the uh, Hindu tradition. That's a major advanced yogic thing. But let me just suggest a couple of physiological things that occur when you hum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is so important people people pay big money for drugs that do this you get a reduction of heart rate respiration brain waves and blood pressure that alone you you know if you are feeling stressed out just sit up straight take a couple of deep breaths and sound forth with a mm, And that will really calm you down, lower your heart rate, your blood pressure to really pharmacological levels. Also, you get the release of melatonin, which is a fabulous tool for helping uh, with sleep and uh, depression. You also get, and this is the big one, nitric. You get the release of nitric oxide. Now, people say nitric oxide, and they think nitrous oxide, which is found in the dentist's office. No, this is nitric oxide, (laughs) which is a vasodilator. It's a vasodilator, so it basically loosens up your circulatory system, lets the blood and other things, oxygen in the blood flow more readily throughout your body and your brain. And it also is, and this is really important for these very unique times, it also is a va- uh, It is an antiviral agent. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you hum and you nasalize the hum like, mm-hmm. You're getting the release of nitric oxide in the nasal cavity, which is where so many of those nasty critters will lodge themselves first Mm -hmm. before they encode themselves into the physical body. So humming Mm -hmm. is incredibly therapeutic just on that level. Mm -hmm. And I was reading uh, that chapter that I'd written on mantras for the original 750 page book. And I uh, just actually, uh, yesterday, and I saw that uh, my writing that there are those who believe that all sounds are created within the hum. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I hope you might, don't mind me saying that, but also in research on cats and their, their how do you say that in English, their, the sounds cats per, make um, pur Per, exactly. Be, between well, 30 they, and per, 60 it's frequencies. N- exactly. It's not, it's not just because they are happy or whatever people think, but when they are stressed out, they use it to, calm down, right? Mm. Ah, I love it. Love it. Yeah. 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 So so that's what I find that highly interesting and I, I I have read the book, of course, and I really encourage people to do that because I it made me discover who 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 I believe I know a little bit about sound um um has really i disco- I've discovered a, a lot of new things there. There is a topic which um I would really like to hear Rion uh johnson I you mentioned it in I think it's the books The Seven What's the seven? The seven approaches to sound healing, or what? What is it called? Um, seven that, secrets. That, it's okay. Seven secrets. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned it there, if I'm remembering well. But uh, I'm talking about brain waves. Yeah. And, um, uh, I don't think you use them in your books a lot yourself. I'm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you can you tell us your opinion on that and and what you
2: what you have to say about that? So, Rudolf. I'm actually the first person who wrote and presented scientific uh, information to the medical community on the uses of sonic entrainment, sound a- into the brain to affect different states of brainwave activity. Right. I simply did not uh, make it a, um, you know, a lot of people have gotten into doing these how you say, binaural beat frequencies to right. induce different brain, brainwave activity. Yeah, they're good. They they work. And I, in my music, I use a lot of different things that do this as well. But um, I'm not going to say contains theta frequencies or contains beta frequencies. I just don't do that. Uh, this is pretty well researched that indeed you can entrain or change the vibrations of the predominant lobes of the brain, the frontal lobes particularly, using different sounds. You put one sound in one ear, you put one sound in the other ear. The difference between them, if they're in the binaural field, let's say you have a 100 a and 105, just as an yeah. example, is a five uh, cyclosecond difference and it'll cause the entrainment. But here's the big do. Um And I've said this for a while, and this is why I just simply did not want to get into myself. And blessed be, people have made fortunes doing this stuff and just was not my path. But um, I remember I was lying on a beach uh, in Santa Monica, California, reading a book by a uh, Lama Govinda, who is a a German-Tibetan Lama. And his book quotes, Foundations of Tibetan Mysticism, and Tibet, Foundations of Tibetan Mysticism was basically based upon the Om Mani Padme Hum chant, basically. Which, of course, as you know or may know, that was the uh, major, powerful chant that uh, Aleister Crowley went over to the uh, East Absolutely. and brought back, and he was like, "Whoa, I've got this really amazing thing!" And you know, nowadays, you know, everybody's got. It. But I'm reading this book. And he's got a little footnote when he's talking about something. He says brain waves do not necessarily relate to states of consciousness. Okay. And I'm sitting there. I'm going, what? Because you know, uh, once again, I had you know already done this presentation for these doctors on sonic and frame and all that stuff. Then I realized, of course, because when you're watching TV you're probably pretty much going into, or at least when you were watching TV 20 years ago, or close <laughs> to it, or 30 or 40 years ago, uh, you know, and you're watching something goofy, you'd be in a state of alpha, which was said to be yeah. a state that people went into when they were going into meditation and deep relaxation, mm-hmm, And, yeah. you know, and you can be a couch potato. So just because your brainwave is acting like something, it's not only the... Uh, level that your brain is at in terms of its uh shall we say vibrations or rhythmic entrainment but what you're doing with your consciousness and i think yeah. this is so important so once again you know uh, the intent again right there you go yeah. yes yeah. very
0: much yeah. so yeah i i see what you mean yes ab- absolutely well let's talk about present and future a little bit because um um of course present it was all present all the time but um what what are your actual projects at the moment that you're working at and maybe you can give us a hint on some future new projects that you might be
2: working at well i'm still very very much trying to get as many people uh, to hum as possible because the more you know <clears throat> Rudolph, we're really moving into a level of uh, sound healing. We're reaching mainstream, and people are really getting into gong mass and crystal bowl baths, and uh, this and that, and all these different tools. And we have fabulous tuning forks, etc. But we have within ourselves the most extraordinary vehicle for sound healing and sound transformation and changing and shifting consciousness. And this is our voice. And I want as many people as possible to get into doing this. And this is why I'm focusing on the hum. And one of the things with the hum that I suggest in the book, I was going to call the book, The Humming Hypothesis, but people probably don't know what a hypothesis is, but that's what we call the chapter. And it's the idea that when you project sound and into your brain and this you can happen through the science of vibroacoustics which is what sound projected on a Mechanical vibrational level to the physical body. Okay, there are two ways that sound can heal. The first is called psychoacoustics. That's the sound going into your ear, into yeah. your brain, affecting your heart rate, your brain waves, your respiration. That's psychoacoustics. When we're talking, this is you're uh, relating psychoacoustically. But sound going into your body, and I can do that through a tuning fork or being on a sound bed. But the most powerful vibroacoustic sound we can make is the hum, because the sound isn't going through our mouth, but it's basically being projected into our cranium and different parts of our body. You still with me on that one so far? Uh, Yeah, sure. Well, listen, play, play a game with me right now so we know our audience knows this is true. I want you to start humming and then just pinch your nose. And given that you got to have your mouth closed when you hum, because if I'm going, ah, that's not a hum, but if I'm going, hmm, sure. it's a hum. Will you do it with me? Yeah. I'm watching you now. Okay. Okay. Mm, pinch your nose. Makes it difficult, right? You actually, if you're pinching your nose hard enough, you couldn't do it. Makes it impossible. Exactly. And I say to people, okay, if you can, uh, if you didn't know this about the hum, the fact that you can't hum if your nose is uh, blocked, then uh, are there other things you might not know? And I think one of the cool things is literally you can create new neural synaptic connections in your brain, using the hum, and I think this is going to be so important to people who are wanting to basically free up their brain of plaque, for example, um, due to various uh, different uh, things that are occurring as you get older, or people who've had all sorts of uh, imbalances that uh, cause blockages in their brain. And there, are, you know, I have I use, I taught a healing sounds intensive for. 20 years, and we had 100 people in each of them, and a lot of them were doctors, and I was going, will somebody please do the research to prove that you can do this? Because I have anecdotal information. Um, People have told me that they've had these problems, and then they've hummed, and it's gone away. But that's anecdotal, and people are not going to really take this seriously until this... Because for some reason, we worship science, even though you can prove what you want. Sure. You know, for some reason, you know, and unfortunately, there is not a whole lot of money in humming. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I, but yeah, but my, my my purpose is not not there, and I think you can with also a hum. You project intentionality. You can project intentionality. You can project colors. You can project seagulls. You can get sigils. You can do yeah different yeah. geometric forms with the hum and you can project the hum to different yeah. parts of your body. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. going to do that right yeah. now. Uh And I'm just so I'm going to go from my head to my chest area. And this is simply done through intentionality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was just able to do that simply focusing because I, you know, I'm fairly adept at, uh, Humming, and the more you hum, it's cumulative. The more you hum, the more powerful it becomes and the more adept you become at doing it. It's like any sound. And once again, I've got a gazillion different sounds, including the... of the Tibetan chant the Tibetan masters. Are, Tibetan, right. Right. You're right. But, you know, you can't teach that to most people, but everybody can learn to hum, and everyone can learn to experience the therapeutic effect of it. Yeah, yeah fascinating fascinating Jonathan.
0: thank you well i'm afraid we are already down to the last question um, let me try to 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 close the, the the loop a little bit you mentioned at the very beginning that you were having that experience and that you thought this was such a bad environment there where you produced that music um as in magic with all that you learn in magic uh, i'm sure it's a it's the same in sound production and and because it's linked to intention as we already found out Mm -hmm. um of course you could also if we follow the sound healing theory with this with the same sound or with creating sound let's put it that way um with the wrong intent or with bad intention also create bad effects a is that Am I saying something that you would you would also think is true or not? And B, how can the practitioner
2: avoid that? That's a great question. And I wish I had a simple explanation for it. I wish I hadn't asked it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, because I imagine... That it's possible to make anything sacred, profane, if that is your intention. Yeah. And um, I like to believe that there is a uh, stopgap that uh, lets that from happening uh, on uh, a lot of different sacred mantras, etc. And, you know, I have attempted to program... That, in a lot of my work, but I would tell you that back in the 1980s, and this gets into the concept of manifestation and magic, I was teaching a workshop on sound and crystals in Salem, Massachusetts. The home of the Salem witches. Yeah. And, uh, of which I am not, but it's going to have friends because I've, you know, and um, I remember I was teaching the use of sound with crystals for manifestation. But I was talking about to like help our planet. And this woman said, well, can I get a catalog, a, a big fancy car, a Mercedes Benz or whatnot, you know, if I do this? And I looked at her and I said, well, you know, do you really think that's the best use of yourself and this crystal? And um, Rudolph, I spent the rest of the day basically talking with her and suggesting that, uh, I mean, this is a group of 30 people, but it monopolized the conversation of using consciousness and what is the correct consciousness to be used. And that was ultimately why I stopped teaching sound and crystals. It's a profoundly powerful tool. And gratefully on this planet, not too many people have knowledge of how to do this. And the really cool thing about sound is that sound is a natural tool and will only take you as far as you can go. Working with other implements such as crystals or even somebody else's projected sound like brainwave stuff, I don't know. But with your own sound, you can't go wrong. Right. That sounds like a great final word, doesn't it? Well, I got one last one, okay? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> we heal the planet. We heal ourselves. We heal ourselves. We heal the planet. We can make a difference, and we have a choice. You were right. That was an even much better final word.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. It was great to have you here in our company for this hour, and... um I really enjoyed that, and I'm sure everyone who listened with us here um, enjoyed just as much. Thanks so much for taking your time, and uh, well, um, keep humming, keep chanting, and let's, let's make that what you
2: just said. You, you betcha. Blessings of light and love through sound to you, and everyone who's listening. Thank you. Goodbye now. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much, Jonathan, for being with us here today. It was really great to have you and I'm sure that everyone listening here enjoyed really very much. Well, this brings our first episode of Season 6 to an end and um, I do hope that you will come back in two weeks when we will present Episode 2 of this season. And as I said previously, After episode 2, or maybe only after episode 3, I am not 100% sure yet about this, I will return then to a weekly show as we did in season 5. So, now, on April 18th, it will be episode number 2 of season 6, and then one or two weeks later, episode 3, but at the latest after episode 3, we'll start a weekly rhythm again. So see you again in two weeks. I will let you know in a couple of days via Twitter, via Facebook or other means who will be your guest on April 18. I have already done a couple of recordings, but I don't want to give away yet. And don't forget, in two weeks on April 18, it will also be the fourth anniversary of the South Hermes podcast do let me know if you enjoyed the show do let me know if you have ideas criticism, something you would like to hear or somebody you would like to hear on this show, it's always interesting and I do what I can to also fulfill your wishes for today I'm saying thank you for listening hope to have you back next week, no in two weeks of course sorry about that and I can only say now take care stay tuned Hear you soon.